Hi, I'm Tony Fair, founder of Victorian Grooming Company. Is your beard feeling dry or the skin underneath itchy? Maybe you'd rather soften and tame your beard instead. Our classic collection of beard oils, balms, and soaps will leave your beard looking, feeling, and smelling amazing. And if you prefer shaving, our pre-shave oils and shave soaps will give you a smooth and razor burn free shave. Handmade in Edmonton with natural ingredients, visit victoriangrooming.com. Craig here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. Today we'll be speaking to Glenn Hawke. Now, Glenn is one of the Australia's leading sport announcers, presenters, and masters of ceremony. Glenn was born in Newcastle, Australia, and on the international stage, he's been the hockey announcer for the Gold Coast 2018 Commonwealth Games the Rio Olympic Games in 2016, the 2006 Commonwealth Games, the 2006 Asian Games. He traveled to Japan to work at the Tokyo Olympic Hockey Test Event. Now, I also played baseball with Glenn in the Newcastle Baseball Competition. He has also been the club president of Belmont Baseball Club, and he is now a life member. He was one of the commentators when the Major League Baseball uh, played uh, their first official game in Sydney. And over a 12-year period, he's been a grand announcer for the Socceroos, which featured international matches at ANZ Stadium. Here he's been the grand announcer for teams like Manchester United, Juventus, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham Hotspurs and Liverpool. Since the 2005-2006 season, Glenn has been the ground announcer for the Sydney Cricket Ground. So he is the ground announcer for all test matches, one day, and T20 and national games. For 19 seasons, he has been the ground announcer for the Newcastle Knights rugby league team. And he has the catchphrase of, we need to hear you, Newcastle. Now he also does ground announcing for the Sydney Roosters, the South Sydney Rabbitohs, Manly Sea Eagles, and the Cronulla Sharks. And he's interviewed some of the biggest names in the sporting world. Sachin Tendulkar, Brian Lara, David Beckham, Neymar Jr. But before we go, please go to our website. We're at Podbean. Tell Craig your story at podbean.com. We are on all the social medias. 
Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have a link tree there which tells you where Tell Craig Your Story podcast is streaming. We are on all the major streaming services. Google Podcast, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, to name a few. We have a YouTube channel there. Make sure you're subscribing to get all the latest updates. At Tell Craig Your Story. And we have VK for our Russian listeners and WeChat for our Chinese listeners. Alright, here we go. This is my chat with Glenn Hawke on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Hi Glenn, how are you going today? Craig, great to be here uh, in, in sunny Newcastle, your old hometown. Yes, my hometown. I wish I was there. I would normally be there for Christmas. Do you have any plans for New Year's? It's, it's New Year's Eve. Yeah, no, it's uh, a really quiet one for me tonight. Um, I've got a big week coming up next week, but um, yeah, just a, a quiet night at home tonight. Yeah, the Sydney the Sydney test, I'm assuming? Yeah, yeah Sydney yeah. test coming up. So this will be um, this will be my 16th Sydney test match that I've, that I've worked on. It, I, I worked down at the Melbourne, the, the Ashes test match in Melbourne last week and um, a, a little sort of meme came up on, uh, on Instagram about it. It was 15 years ago that, uh, that Shane Warne got his 700th test wicket. Wow. Which was at the MCG 15 years ago. Fast forward a week on from that, he played his last test match ever and, uh, and I was fortunate that was my very first, very first test match as a, as a ground announcer and as a, um, and that was the day that uh, that Shane Warne, Glenn McGrath, and and Justin Langer all now retired their retirement. And um, wow. yeah, after you know kicking around as a as a kid and a bloke in Newcastle trying to <laughs> forge a bit of a career, that was um, that became the start of a you know a huge part of of my life. You sort of pinch yourself with things like that, like memories, and just like oh yeah, when, when I first sort of called you, you said oh you know in a couple of days I'm going to the Melbourne Test, the Boxing Day. It's like like a little bend it's like it's huge the ashes yeah. it look particularly i've learned this even more or, or come to appreciate this even more over the last couple of years that every event that you get to do it, it, it's an honor and a privilege and that can it may sound a bit corny to people but it, it really is you know even different bits and pieces that that happened during the match we're in we're melbourne scott boland as we no. just score as we got six for seven in the boxing day test on his test debut and my producer sitting next to me, I just whacked him the arm. I said, "Remember that day, Scott Boland's got six for seven at the MCG. We were there that day, and and there were so there's so many moments like that throughout my career that you know you you look back on you you see things on the television and and you may hear your voice in the background or you just sit there and watch a highlight of some incredible sporting event and you get a time then to reflect on how I was there and I was part of that. And there's been there's been plenty of those moments. And and yeah, as I said after. The, the schmozzle that's been the last two years and, and so much work dropped away and there are plenty of times I thought that I may, may never get back to doing any of these yeah. again. Uh, you certainly never – you do pinch yourself every time you sit in the, the MCG or the SCG or whatever it may be and look down on the pitch and, um, and, and you're so very thankful that you have those opportunities. Yeah, 2021 uh, as a whole, you want to just a quick review for that? Like what, what were your achievements yeah. that you had? Look, I suppose in terms of the whole COVID experience, it's mm. for me, it's it's kind of the last two years. Um, yeah. I'm very look. I'm very fortunate throughout my my working life. I've had these two streams of work 
where since I was 19, I was working in PR and communications and I now have my own business in that. And, you know, all this talking rubbish into a microphone at sporting match, it was, it was just a, it was just a bit of a hobby, you know, yes. back then. So, you know, that was the PR and comms was almost always my focus and this was a bit of fun. And then as the years have rolled on by it, you know, the bit of fun has become a bit more than just a well-paid hobby. It's become a, a legitimate career. And, um, you know, I was fortunate to to juggle both of those for a long time. Um, come the start of 2019, not just myself, but so many wonderfully talented, good people lost a lot of work. And yeah. you know, I, I was very fortunate where I went from having like a full calendar from March through to December for, for announcing and hosting and presenting work to, to zero. It, it all dropped away. But what I, it allowed me to do is kind of refocus myself on my my PR business and and that carried me through. Um, but as I said, I, I had you know, quite a number of friends and colleagues who lost every work, every bit of work. And it was more the fact that you know, we, we got sort of two or three or four months into it and there was still no, you know, we, when it all shut down, we thought, you know, a couple of months and, and we'll be fine. We're back now. Yeah. Three, four months into it, not only wasn't it back, there was no, no side of, of when this could yeah. come. So people who are at the top of their game in really sort of niche or specific roles in in events and television and and sport, those roles were just weren't there. You know, there was so much talk about you know we need to pivot and we need to do all these kind of things and look at different paths. But when when you're heading down a particular path and you're very good at what you do and there's no need to look at different career paths, particularly someone from you know forty to fifty who've spent a long, you're kind of looking to the the end of your career more than the, the start of it. Yeah. Um, you know, there was some different friends I spoke to at different times thought, well, maybe I need to just put a line through this now and, and yeah. look again. for something else. Look, well, we're very fortunate that we are getting back where even down in the, um, in the test match in Adelaide, there was a, a couple of COVID cases um, within the, the broadcast mm-hmm. compound, which caused oh, wow. you know, a, a great deal of angst. Um, there was a couple of commentators who in Melbourne who had close contacts so the Channel 7 uh, commentary team for one day got essentially wiped out and they had to bring in their BBL commentary team for, for day two of the test match. So it, it's caused causing havoc still in, mm. in, in various parts. But look, I don't, I, do we do we poke the universe and dare say it? But um, I don't think we're going to go back to the, the scenarios that we had where we were locking down states and cities and shutting down businesses and the like. So hope, hopefully things will be a little bit better. Hmm. And a personal side, like you said that you had a bit of time off, three or four months off there. Uh, were your family okay there? With, like, yeah, no, look at yeah, yeah. yeah, it was it was pretty much, um, you know, play on at, at home. Um, you know, so many, so many families were dealing with just, I, I suppose, just minimizing movements and homeschooling and things like mm. that. But you know, look, I, I was in a, and we're in a very fortunate situation that um you know we weren't affected by it family weren't affected by it um we were still able to work um so you know in the grand scheme of things we didn't have a lot to didn't have a lot to worry about which is great but we'll and we'll talk about it a little bit soon but even your 2020 was still like busy <laughs> and you're still traveling so look it was quite incredible 20 2019 was probably probably my busiest year Mm. I've had, I had, you know, my hosting and announcing and presenting work. I, I had four international gigs. I worked at the, um, I worked at the Hong Kong sevens. Uh, I went to Singapore to work on, um, 
Brazil national football team uh, had their world tour there. I went to Tokyo for the um, a test event for the Olympic Games. Yes. I, I had all those four came into the women's T20 World Cup. Yes. And at that time, I had, a, I had a contract on the table to work at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, which was – I worked at the Rio Games. This was on the table. And, and in terms of juggling both elements of my working life, I was almost at a crossroad of, you know, do I pull back from the PR and comms work or do I, get, do I employ someone else to, to help with that yeah. and so I can kind of focus on, on the announcing and presenting work. Mm. And within a week period, I didn't need uh, anyone else to help me there because I had uh, no <laughs> announcing. Well, I was going to talk about it a, bit, a little bit later, but uh, what was that whole experience of, of going to Tokyo uh, and Japan? Yeah, Have you look, been, I, had, had you been to Japan before as well? No, I've never been to Japan. Um, I, so I, when I went in 20, it was mid, it was July, August 2019. So COVID wasn't even on the radar. Oh, then, so right, right. It was kind of um, uh, play on. But in terms of um, you know Japan, and this is kind of preaching to the converted here, I, I'd never been to... To Tokyo, never been to Japan before. Um, an incredible, incredible experience. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't believe there'd be so much, so many people, but so much order. You know, even going to the train station where there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, and everyone lines up orderly, stands in a line. The train pulls <laughs> up, doors open, everyone comes out, everyone goes back in. There's signs up there saying "Don't, don't talk on your mobile phone," and no one does, and Everyone's just so, so polite and so oh, yeah. welcoming and so greet. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful culture um, to experience, and there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of things that Australians can learn from um, from the Japanese Absolutely. culture. Absolutely. Well, I, the first day that I was there, I just can remember like like you getting on the subway or getting on the train, and I had this big map trying to find my accommodation. The guy just next to me, hey, can I help you? Can I help you find? Are you lost? And I was like, it's fantastic. It's, yeah. So there you go. It's like, let's talk about that a little bit later. I was going to yep. sort of try and do it in like chronological order. Yeah, no, so, so let's go way back. So obviously we've talked about it before. Born in Newcastle. Yeah. You grew up, uh, was, it in, was it in like the Belmont sort of area? Yeah, I grew up in, uh, in Jules, which is Jules. a suburb just, just north of um, – of Belmont uh, in East Lake Macquarie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, went to school, lived across the road from the primary school, went to, went to Belmont High School. And um, I saw that yeah. you were the, I saw a picture there on your Instagram that you were the captain of the primary school. Is that correct? Captain of Jules Primary School. Yeah. That's um, where I made had my first, uh, my first ever public speaking experience as a, well, I would have been in fifth class. I would have maybe 11, maybe 10 or 11 when I, <laughs> when I got, named uh like at the end of year assembly i suppose so i'd been worded up that i was going to be announced as as the the school captain for next year and so i had to get up and i think i had to thank everyone for coming along like that was my little bit and i still remember i i'd kind of memorized and like this went for about 15 seconds but i still remember getting up there without any notes and Basically said something along the lines of behalf of all the all the students here, we would like to thank all the parents and grandparents for coming along to our end of year presentation or whatever, something like that. Yeah. And um, and I still remember the principal got back up to lecture and said he didn't even need notes. He's 
he might, he might, this might come of it. This uh, this young fellow, he might talk a bit for a career. Who would have thought? Bit of a career. Did you ever, did you, uh, like just a random thought? Did you ever go on romper room? No, my brother did. My oh, brother, brother did. Room. We we had a. There was actually um, there were six kids on romper room on the on the set on the day. I think five were from our neighbourhood, and I was a little bit too old. But oh, I remember right. sitting in the I was sitting in the old MBN studio there watching <laughs> watching it getting recorded. But um, yeah, now I, I I do remember sitting in the audience that day. So my brother was four. I must have been six sitting in there um, watching Miss Kim and wishing I could have been up the front. Yeah, yeah right. Mr. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, you have a brother. Was it just one brother? Yeah, yeah, but, uh, my brother Matt, who yeah, growing up together, and he played baseball and uh, cricket, and yeah, our sporting lives kind of progressed. Yeah, together we played a lot through senior baseball and and the likes together. So yeah. And did your mum and dad were they like in the sort of media entertainment uh, no, sort of no, field? Or? No, not at all. no, no. My mum's a hairdresser, and my dad's kind of a, a was in business administration type. Look, we had a. We grew up, my, my dad was a real, he was a rugby league player, you know, played lower grade like rugby league for South Newcastle and just a real love of, of sport and, and his parents and, and my mum's uh, parents as well. So we're, we're all, um, my mum's parents in particular were cricket fans. My, my dad's parents were cricket and rugby league people. So I was sort of surrounded by sport as a kid and, you know, there was plenty of times when I was, you know, the middle of summer we had a pool in our backyard and when all the kids in the neighbourhood were in our pool, I'd be sitting in the lounge room watching the cricket on the television and my parents telling me to go and jump out in the backyard. But um, I don't know, Alan Border might have been at the crease or something like that. So I was <laughs> to sit there and, um, and, watch the, uh, and watch the cricket. So it was something, yeah, we were surrounded by sport. Parents were very encouraging of us to play sport. And, you know, it, it, was, it was baseball and, and cricket. Um, mm. My dad... My dad had no idea about baseball. Yeah, where, where, did, where did baseball come into it? Because yeah, look, uh, it wasn't really a, like a popular sport in Newcastle. No, well, it was. Um, we were cricket. Well, we started playing cricket for before baseball. And it was interesting. My my three nephews now are all playing cricket, and you know they're all modified games and hitting off. Is it kanga? Yeah, it, it's it's kind of a variation of the old kanga cricket. But I, I remember, and you may have been the same. Like there were no modified. Like we still had to bowl off, you know, 22 yards and <laughs> the hard ball and things like that. So it was kind of a, a tough introduction um, yeah. uh, in those days. But, but I started playing, uh, I started playing um, cricket with Belmont District Cricket Club as a kid and yes. a, a guy who lived down the road from us want, spoke to my brother about playing baseball and uh, he played with athletics and a mate of mine who I played cricket with, I spoke to him about it. He said, no, no, you're playing baseball, you're playing cricket with Belmont, you come and play baseball for Belmont as well. So that'll do me. And, um, yeah, and that's where it started. I was, I think I was, I was 12, so I went into under-14s. And it, it's amazing so much that I've been able to do and happen in my life traces back to the day I stepped up. I went to sign a rego to play baseball with Belmont so much of my life and so many opportunities I've had through playing sport and, and whatnot have has led me on the path that I've been on and continue on today. So I'm, I'm very thankful for, for those opportunities it gave me. And a life member too. The congratulations. That's amazing achievement. Like, and I can always remember, like, even when I was playing as well, like I played with Phoenix and Toronto and it was always Belmont with a team to beat. But like, yeah. 
every every year, you know, first, second, and third grade, all the juniors, Belmont would always be in the in the playoffs. So you'd want to go to Belmont, you'd play your best, you know. So, yeah. It- you know, the, the club was very successful through the early to mid-60s. The clubs didn't perform particularly well at all. And a, a couple of gentlemen by the name of um, John Lampkin and, and Don Lennox, unfortunately, Don no longer with us. Don was a very good player in his own right. And and, and John was a first grader and they're both um, great administrators for our clubs that have got their heads together and went, well, you know, we, we, need to, we need to do something about this. You know, we want to improve the standard. And they got a couple of guys from... Um, a couple of young blokes by the name of Gary Williams and Gary Heggie, who were twenty early twenties, based on the Central Coast, but were doing big things in the game. And they they came to the club not just to play, but but to coach. And you know, this was through in the mid seventies. Then, so sort of seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven, really changed not just the sport for our club, but but in Newcastle of, of yeah. how the game was played. And so through that early seventies. You know, we had a very successful run of, of about over a 10-year period. And it kind of just rolled on because we had some very good people uh, who, who came before me. And it was almost a case of, you know, the success that was built on, no one wanted, you know, you didn't, you didn't want to be that person who was responsible for the, for the club falling over or, or, or what have you. So, yeah, we're, we're very fortunate. I, you know, I got involved as a, as a player and I was only – I think I was 16 when I joined the committee and then I think I was 18 or 19 around about the time when I was uh, the club president. So, and I did that for 10 years. Uh, it was just an all consuming passion of, of mine. Yeah. It, it, again, I said it as much as I, I think I'd like to hope I did the game and the club has given me more than I can ever repay it. Yeah. The life membership is something that I'm, I'm really, really proud of. My only, the only issue I've got now is I just don't get a chance to to go yeah, back yeah. Um, and and be part of it. And uh, I think the last, we had um, a couple of old boy reunion days, oh, yes. two years that have both been uh, knocked on the head because of COVID. So um, no, hopefully, right. hopefully 2022 we can get back down there get and um, tell each yeah. other, remind each other how good we used to be and tell <laughs> guys and drink a few beers in the hills. The home, so, run, the home run gets getting further and oh, further deep, in a bigger yeah. – yeah. I'm only convincing myself because they all knew that I was never the bloke in home runs. <laughs> no, it's a wonderful, wonderful part of my life that, you know, I will, yeah, forever treasure. And, you know, what is the like, the standard of baseball now in 2020, 2021 uh, in Newcastle? I mean, when I first started, I started around the same time, around the, the, mid, the mid-90s, going to watch first grade play, I would go all the time. Uh, it was so good baseball, like really competitive. Like there was players like going over, you know, overseas and playing in the minor leagues. Yeah. Um, but then uh, I went back, uh, you know, went back to Australia and watched some baseball and I watched first grade and I don't know if it was just a particular game, but... I just saw the standard drop drop a little bit. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I, look, I I haven't seen a game for a couple of years. I haven't been involved, you know, closely for as I said, sort of five or six or maybe more. Right. Um, but I think overall, and I'm not too sure why, but the the standard probably has dropped a little from what it was. You know, we had uh, you know a couple of years ago, we've had um, at Belmont, we had 
uh, Alexander and Lachlan Wells, who, who came through our juniors and mm. AJ played, made his major league debut in the bigs um, this year. And uh, his brother's done some great things in minor leagues as well. But, you know, apart from those guys, we haven't had a huge number of superstars come mm. through. Um, I, I, I played with Ryan Rowland Smith in Toronto. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's gone on to bigger and better things. And congratulations to him. But yeah, uh, wonderful, wonderful career and a, and a really great yeah. guy as well. Yeah, but uh, it's a shame because at that time we had some really, really good players playing that sport. And yeah, so I, I hope uh, it can continue to sort of, yeah. uh, you know, get better with the baseball because. It's important, but you know everybody wants to play AFL and everyone wants to play rugby league, and you know there's a lot of other things you know out there to you know to play now. So yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's a there are so many options, which is which is a great thing for yeah. um, for kids these days. So many options for them to do. I think some of the sad thing is that some kids are opting not to play sport anymore, and I think. You know, families generally have, I'm going to say not as much time, but they just they got the same 24 hours in the day that, that we had 30 years ago. But uh, I think it's it's not time poor, it's opportunity rich. They have, families have a lot more things that they can and want to do. So, um, you know, sometimes the the sport and, and the kids' activities, you know, they're, they're not, they're not focused in those kind of areas as much maybe. But um, yeah, it would be, you know, after being such a, as I said, such a huge part of my life, um, and it's great that that my club's been successful. But you can't a league or a sport can't succeed purely on the basis of one club being successful. It's true. Right. You need a number of clubs to, um, you know, to keep developing the game and developing the young players and want to get all these kids to come through. You know, this is again sounding a bit like a dinosaur, but but you would remember going yourself going to rep trials and things like that where you would have. 20 and 30 and 40 kids trying out for an age group yeah. and you go through and try and impress the selectors. But in the last couple of years in different age groups, they've, they've struggled to get enough kids to, to play in a rep side, which kind of horrifies me because it was such a, yeah. you know, such a huge it's thing to be competitive. Yeah. In a rep side. So mm. yeah. wow, hopefully, hopefully it will, we get through COVID, you know, the last two seasons have been knocked on the head as well, which hasn't right. had a game when they haven't been able to complete seasons and, so look, hopefully, twenty twenty two, they can get a, a season out and and continue to attract more kids to the game. Yeah, absolutely. But this base the whole baseball thing uh, got you started in your career that you're in now as an announcer, yeah. and to, still continuing on about baseball. Uh, Hunter Eagles. Yeah, yep, yeah, that was well, it. That's Hunter, how it all. Hunter Eagles. So. It was it was uh, at the time where like we were talking about before where it was sort of like a peak uh, for Newcastle baseball and and at that time people wanted to play baseball and it was the very exciting times for Newcastle as well um, all the uh, domestic teams coming to Newcastle to play all the international players Dave Nelson Graham Lloyd yeah so how how did this all come about uh, you getting an opportunity. Uh, in 95 with the first year. Like, how did it all come yeah. about? So in my time with, you know, I wasn't the guy, like, I wasn't the kid in the debating team at school or, you know, right. I, I I wasn't that guy. And in fact, I probably shied away from it more than I ever sort of threw myself out there despite my um my speaking career started as a 10-year-old at Jules Primary School. But right. um, I, 
once I was involved with the baseball club and on the committee, I, you know, there was presentation nights where you'd go and hand out awards and we'd do funny awards and bits and pieces like that. But so the Hunter Eagles started and I was at the game, uh, the very first game. Mm, uh, me too. Newcastle. And there were two, they had two announcers on the day. They had a, a, a guy called Stuart Horn, who I'm still in contact with today. He was with um, with KO or 2KO back then. He was the, the morning announcer and he had this beautiful 90s radio voice real deep and right and so he he did all the um all the ad reads and all the general announcements and things like that um and he knew a bit about baseball he spent some time in brisbane so and, and did some stuff with the brisbane bandits so he, he knew oh. a little bit about baseball but hmm. they got this other guy in who was a the dad of a one of the players and he was doing kind of play-by-play announcing you i suppose you call it and he was dreadful <laughs> get the names right he was so i i you know with the with my mates with me and a couple of cans under my belt i was so i was probably 19 um telling my mates say oh, this place rubbish I reckon <laughs> anyhow so so this went on and on that night and another mate of mine uh who was um who was playing it must have got back to him that i thought it might have been a crack at this and he said um, why don't you give the owner a call? Here's his here's his number. So as bold as brass, I thought I'd give this guy a call, and his name was Ray. And I said, Ray, I, you know, my name's Glenn Hawk. Um, you know, I was at the game on Saturday night, Friday night, whatever it was. Um, look, I wouldn't mind having a go at this ground announcing bit. And he said, Yeah, no worries. You've got the job. Turn up next week. So there was no, <laughs> I think it, that said a little bit more about the performance of the guy who was in the chair as opposed to. Um, my ability at the time <laughs> signing me sight unseen, but that you know that was that was effectively it was a free free gig. I got I got into the baseball for nothing. I um you know they might have fed me and a couple of cans of coke during the game, and um but it, it, look it allowed me to sit and learn from a proper announcer. And Stuart was great, and um you know certainly helped me you know, enormously in those in that first season. Um, but it, mm. it it was the start, and I, and I've been so fortunate that um, it, it set me on a path that I'm still on today. So, how was the preparation for that? Was it natural for you to to just get in front of there and just uh, do play by play, like uh, for baseball? Yeah, and I suppose that's it's been a little bit of case of my whole career in in parts. Is that honest? I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. I just got up there and had a crack at it. And I had a crack and they told me to turn up the next week. So that was the only real indicator that but I must have been okay at, at what I did. Um, right. and I suppose it was the fact that I knew a lot about the game so I could just, you know, if there was ever any recordings of back to what it was, I'd, I'd no doubt be horrified about, you know, what I said or how I sounded or whatever it was. That was 27 years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of horrified about what how it might have sounded, but um, your voice has the voice the voice broken in yet? There, yeah, or? I think it's probably yeah, it's probably changed a little. Well, I'm sure it probably has. You know, yeah. kind of now. Um, a bit deeper now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you hear, you know, on, on Fox League and things, they have uh, rugby league games from the early '80s, and Ray Warren commentating the '80s. Yeah. What he is now, and it's all quite different. But um, but yeah, look, I, I mean, I just turned up. I, I absolutely and it. I absolutely loved it. You know, I, I kind of wanted to, I, as I said, I, I had these two kind of parts to my career. Um, I got 
it was around about the same time. Um, and I was thinking about this not long, long ago. It was around about the same time I got this job in PR. I want to be a journalist. That's what I wanted. I want to be a sports journalist with the Newcastle yeah. Herald. And that, and I actually went and got an interview for it and it didn't happen. And I ended, I fell into PR. I probably spent the first 12 months reading the paper each day, wondering what the hell I was doing. But, um, right. but I was doing this and, and I was doing that. And then the, the baseball and the announcing was just, you know, a bit of fun. And I did that for three, I think I did that for three years before the Hunter Eagles folded. Yes. And I thought, well, that's about it. We had the Knights, we had the Jets, but there were people already doing that. So yes. that, that was about it. And it was, it was the next summer that I got, got a call from the, the guy who was the GM of the Newcastle Breakers at the time asking me if I wanted to do the announcing at the soccer. Mm. So that was, I've kind of thought, well, we're, that was, we're away. That was, that was out at Shortland, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. At, yeah. Um, Breakers Stadium, a Topper Stadium, or Birmingham, Birmingham Gardens. Birmingham, so Birmingham Gardens, yes, yes. I, I did that for a while, for a few years as well, and then eventually got a gig with the Newcastle Knights, and that's where it kind of really started to take off. And when when did you uh, first start with the Newcastle Knights? What season was that? So that was 2003. So this 2022 will be my 20th season with the Newcastle Knights. So, yeah, like I feel 100 when I start thinking <laughs> about that. But um, I did the breakers for a couple of years. Then the breakers – folded or were taken over by Con Constantine of Parkley Markets fame. Mm. Um, there was an involvement there with the Knights. So the the guy, Tony Briscoe, who was the Knights announcer, he was the, they put him in doing the Jets as well. But they said to me, he he was a afternoon breakfast, uh, afternoon, afternoon radio guy. So he can't get there till later. So if you can come and do the, the youth league game. So that kept me involved. Yeah. Um, and then Tony, Tony went from uh, he was with he was with Two HD, the radio station in Newcastle that you would know. Um, he left there, went to the KO, their their rival. The Knights had a long term agreement and sponsorship with Two HD. Yeah, so Gary Gary Harley and the, the big Gary Harley, and yeah. um, so so the Knights parted away with with Tony, and it was it got a little bit ugly at that at that point with that departure, and that was the end of the two thousand and two season. So. I was sort of sitting there in the wings again. Like I was not the radio guy or, or the TV guy or anything like that. I was just a guy who worked at, knew a bit about sport and talk shit. So <laughs> it was a bit of a time. And I know that um, the season, you know, leading into that season, they, there were some other, you know, radio announcers in Newcastle that they trialed um, leading into the 2003 season. And Who were some of them? Do you know? You know? oh, I was actually just trying to think of it, and and look, no one who stuck around in Newcastle very long. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, a lot of these radio people come, you know, regional radio. They kind of becomes very transient, and it's a stop off to to somewhere greater. So, um, but yeah, I still remember I got a I got a call from um from Steve Crow, who was a former Knights player and then a media manager, and uh, he appointed oh, really? me. Yeah, again, I, I look, I still remember the. Because like you, I was at that very first game in, in 1988. My dad used to take me to the footy all the time. The season before, when I wasn't playing baseball on the weekends, uh, or where the, the night's fixtures allowed it, I'd be on the hill with my mates, drinking cans, thinking, oh, yeah, pretty cool to do that job one day. 
Um, <laughs> and then when I got the job, it was a it was a Friday night game. I mean, I, I thought it I thought it made it. This mm. is it. This is the greatest. This is the greatest moment of my life. And I don't remember a whole lot about the game. I, I remember, I do remember being sort of sitting up there and looking around, going, "This is great," and me introducing the team out, and twenty thousand people erupt. Yeah. Uh, me thinking based on what I was saying, but might have been because the team was running out. I'm not too sure, but um, it becomes quite intoxicating when you get involved in in, in that announcing role, and um, yeah, you put your own sort of your own touches on it, your own style on it, and yeah, um, yeah no. and again, it was a it was a really important launching pad for me. Was there nerves? Like, like obviously, oh, I was shitting myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, hundred yeah. um, percent. Like it was a about- bit. Uh, I'd ever been. And I remember at, at halftime, Steve Crow came up to me and said, mate, you're doing great, but yeah. you just need to slow down. Like I would have been going <laughs> miles an hour. Yeah, really nervous. And I was sitting in the, I was sitting in a box that was not much wider than, mm. than here. Um, and the old grandstand at the ISC, it was basically a box that hung off the roof. So you had to go yeah. and climb up on top of the roof and, and down a ladder to get to and I shared it with um, all the TV commentators. So again, I'm sitting here, and Fatty Vorton and Peter Sterling are walking oh, down. Oh, come on! Going, oh, I'm going. This is, <laughs> and I've made it. This is this can't get any better. In terms of preparation, like you know, your '95 gig, uh, your your breakers, and then like your first game with the Knights. How was the preparation for like the game? I mean. Even with the breakers, you said, uh, uh, like, were you a big soccer fan at the time? And did you have no, to like, do- No, and, and it was going from baseball where I knew a lot of the players. And one thing I learned really early in my announcing career is that you've got to get the players' names right. <laughs> and I still remember the very first game I did at Breakers Stadium. There was a guy from Newcastle, only young guy on the team. His name is uh, Brad Witcherak. Oh, and- I went to school with Brad. <laughs> yeah, so, so Brad was playing. He might have debuted that that game, and I've announced him on the I've announced him on the field as Brad Wiesjerek or something like that. So you know, there's a that's a difficult name. You got to see it written down. Yeah, and at half time, this guy's come and knocked on the door of the announcer's box. He just kind of sat in the corner at Breaker Stadium, and he said. Um, Who's the announcer? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, well, the bloke who's just run out there, made his debut, all of his family's here today, and you've got his name wrong. His name's not Brad Wiesjerak, it's Wiesjerak. Like, <laughs> cool, got that right. So it was a, it was a lesson learned really, really early yeah. that, it, you know, it, it's an important role that you play mm. in, in the match day. And I suppose for the point of the sake of jumping around a bit, I was really fortunate to go to the Rio Olympics in as the hockey announcer in 2016, and the we were there the week before the game started, and and we had a a workshop day with all the all the announcers at all the sports from and these are people from all around the world. We had a guy who uh, presented who'd been to every every summer and winter Olympics as an announcer since nine. Um, another guy was uh, all the NFL. He does a Super Bowl and all the big NFL stuff. Um, the guy who worked with, I worked with was the announcer for the San Francisco 49ers. So these were, and oh, there was, wow. and he's me, you know, the, the kid from Newcastle. 
thinking, what the hell am I doing here? But <laughs> the guy who this guy who'd been to all these Olympic games, he got up there and he said, like, the, the most important thing for you to do is to get people's names right. You imagine men's hundred meters. There is, it's, it's in terms of athletics, it's one of the bigger events in terms of participation. They have a whole heap of heats, they have semifinals, finals to you know to eliminate down to to that last eight. He said there. You imagine a, a runner who has been training his whole life and he's finally got his moment on sure. on the Olympic stage. Mm. And and he's heat one, race one. He goes out in the track and you get his name wrong. He runs 15 seconds, last by a long way. That's his Olympic experience gone. And you couldn't even get his name right. That was the kind of reinforcing from the Brad Witcher Act day. <laughs> The most important thing for you to do is to get people's name right, and it's it's anywhere in life, right? Like it's I've grown up with the name Glenn Hawk. It's not a real not yeah. too a name, but it's a respect thing. Yes, for starters, and it shows that you that you give a shit about your job. That's right. Uh, and and you know whether it's a. Doing some NRL games now. We might have an under under twenties game on beforehand. I'll always go down and check with the opposition manager who when I, and look some of the some of the Polynesian names and thing Islander names are, are really really tough. Yeah. I always make an effort to go down and, and check check off with the opposition team's manager that to go through. And look, let me tell you, sometimes I go to the manager and I say, "What's this name?" And he says, "Mate, I've got no idea." I just, <laughs> so, yes. um, but yes. yeah. In terms of preparation through my whole career, that's probably been the most um, been the most important thing, just to get people's names right. And is it like a, a long process for you to to do the preparation, or is it like over the years a lot quicker? Yeah, look, I suppose with um, working in rugby league for a long time, you know, game after, and I work for a couple of rugby league clubs, so you see a lot of these players throughout the season. So, and then year after year, um, but it's always a you know, a, a glance when teams come out uh, the, the Tuesday beforehand to go through who you who's in the sides and if there's any ones that are missing. I've got you know mates who are journo's and and um, and presenters for the NRL and I'll you know there's plenty of them we and we all kind of there's a bit of a network of announcers we kind of reach out to each other and, and chat about um, who's on and, and this bloke plays for your team. What how do I say his name and um, yeah so that that's it's still an important part and um, but yeah it is probably a little bit different when you get to see the players week after week. Yeah, absolutely. So you have, you have your first season with the Knights. Uh, they, they give you, do they give you like a long-term contract or is it a week to week? How does it all work with the Knights? I've never had a contract with the Knights. It's been. Really? No, it, it's been a, for 20 years, it's been a, Just a year by year handshake okay. deal. And um, the, okay. you know, the people who are, looking after it at the moment have been there for a few years and it's yeah I'm, I'm, you know i've got a really good relationship with the club i love being part of it and it's um yeah it's it's pretty much just a year by year prospect so so 2003 was your first season with the knights so you've seen some of the greats go there with the yeah. knights uh the johns uh andrew johns danny badiris so who, who is some of your you know standout players you know, oh. that you've seen for Newcastle, you know, even even at the start, like when you weren't coming to, you know, the announcement. Yeah, in terms of Newcastle, it's it, like Andrew Johns is the, yeah, maybe a little bit biased from Newcastle, but he, he's the greatest that I've ever seen and probably will be. And 
It's true, but it's it's, yeah, it's to it's, be able to to be able to say that I you know I worked in two thousand three. That was I think it was his last. He was two thousand five retired, so I, I got to work for the Knights for a couple of years in his last um, in his last couple of seasons. Uh, so you know him first, Danny Badiris, Kurt Gidley, um, Steve Simpson. There's there's been quite a number yeah. of of Newcastle Knights players that. Um, that I've been really fortunate to to see. There's been some been some lean years uh, since, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah but some it's been, lean years. Yeah, and look, as I said, I, I work for a couple of the couple of NRL clubs now, and I've, I've worked with the Roosters for the last few years, when, and they've gone through a you know a wonderful time in, in their in their club's history, and you know again seeing up close, you know James Tedesco and Boyd yeah. Court. Peter Cronk and Jarrah Warrior Hargreaves and, and these kind of guys, watching them do their thing week in, week out is um, is pretty incredible as well. So it says here that you're not only the Newcastle Knights, but uh, the, Ra- the Rabbitohs, uh, Roosters and the Sharks. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah so I've, um, yeah. I've got those four locked in for next season as well. So, oh, great, um, great. so that's all good. How do you keep like a bias thing there? Like, you know, being a Newcastle guy, Newcastle fan, and then you're sort of like – the roosters of all of all teams, you know, yeah, is look, that hard, difficult at the start? Craig, it is, gets difficult right up to the point that you have to put your invoice in at the end of the game. So, <laughs> yeah. I've long said that I am a rock solid fan of the team that's paying me on the day. So, that's um, right. yeah. in all seriousness, it's regardless of who you know. I, I'm an I'm a night I'm a night yeah. guy. Right? I, I, yeah. I grew up with the club. I watched the first game, so and they will always be first and foremost. But it is a it's a job. It's a performance. It's it, it's easy to get passionate about the team you're you're supporting and, and you're working for on the day because that's that's your job and that's your role. Is there any teams I wouldn't work for? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it, it it becomes and there's been look there's been different times. Oh, so the, I work for the Roosters and the Rabbitohs and the, uh, effectively the premierships. You know, clubs hate each other, right? Yeah. And a couple of years ago now, I did I was doing the announcing for the the Rabbitohs and working on field at the Roosters. And um, after the, the end of the South games, I would host a, a member function. I did that for a couple of years. And this particular season, I was working for Manly as well. Who would have thought that I would work? <laughs> but hey, their money's as good as anyone else's at the end of the day. I remember getting up on the stage and, yeah, well, great win tonight by the uh, – by the rabbitos and great to see all the members here. And there's this little old lady sitting down the front. She's looked at me. She said, where's your roosters shirt today, mate? I've been, I've been out of here. And the lady sitting next to her said, and your manly one as well. Oh. Been outed by these two old ladies, being heckled by these two old ladies down the front. And, and you know, every, every team has the proud and passionate fans, but those, the rabbitos fans are, um, there's something else. They love it. Absolutely love it. But look, oh. I've, I've been really fortunate. Oh. I've actually, Worked for a number of, you know, I've I've done some work with with the Dragons. I've done, you know, a couple of games for Parramatta and the Bulldogs and West Tigers, and so I kind of hoard yeah. myself around to whoever's willing to pay me different times. But um, yeah. But that's that's the thing about going when 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 you go back growing up in Newcastle, like you were saying, you know, your, your family is like a big sporting family. My my family's big sporting family as well. My mum and dad's side. The Newcastle Knights fans, we've got this big reputation, like even when we first started, like that we were so passionate and like 
doesn't matter win, lose or draw, as long as we, you know, we're tough and we, we give it a fair go. Is yeah. is that a fair assessment? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's um and it's been tough with the Knights over the last over the last couple of years. Like we win three wooden spoons in a row. But yeah. it, it what has been incredible being part of that over the last few years. Like we, we had a maybe two or three seasons ago, you know, we, we had lining up for a third wooden spoon in a row, but it was old boys' day and yeah, it's the last game of the year each year. The Knights have their old boys' day, and all the old players come back and they do a lap around the field and a, and a guard of honour. And I think we had like nearly twenty thousand people turn up for the last game of the year, where we were coming last, officially anointed as the uh, last place team. So yeah. you know, we, we'd sit there and look around at this crowd and hear the crowd think, "Give the club an ounce of success, and, and they'll be locking the gates." An hour before, because there'll be so many people in here. Such is the such is the the passion for the for the club, and it, it, it's heading in the right direction. I think um, you know we've yes. made some strides uh, in the last in the last couple of seasons. Um, I think there's still there's still a fair way to go. Like it's whenever you talk, and I, I always look at it, but where are the knights going to sit? You know, are they going to be in the A? They're going to be top four, or what have you? But you kind of I I kind of look at it. In, who have they got to be in front of? Like who are they? Who's yeah. got to drop? Who's got to perform worse for the Knights to perform better? And I think we've seen with the league at the moment, there's a the top four. There's a couple of really good clubs in that top four at the moment. Yes. There's some next to the group in the top eight. And there's this big, well, I think there's a big block from sort of six to. A bit of a gap. Yeah. 12 to 14 that could make up the bottom part of that eight. But um, yeah, it'd be nice to see the Knights have another, you know, keep improving, keep improving. Yeah. I, I think. Premiership still a, a little while away yet, and that's just because they're they're really tough to win. Yeah, and and, and like uh, seeing Mitchell Pearce uh, leave that unfortunate, um, yeah. it makes it makes our halves a little bit thinner now. Like I mean, quality players. Uh, yeah, we got Adam Clune. Clune. Adam came yeah. from the Dragons. Uh, Phoenix Crosland, who, mm-hmm. who I think um, look, I'd love to see him get a crack. He, he's a kid yeah. who play, played um, under 18s in the under 20s in the New South Wales side. So he, he's been there or thereabouts for a while. The couple of games he's had, it's been on a short preparation to fill in. It, it would be great to see him get a full preseason under yes. his belt. And from all accounts, he was great with for the club last year. It, it would be good to see him. You know, we've seen a lot of good kids leave Newcastle over the years and, and flourish elsewhere. It'd be nice to see him yeah. um, be the next Finish. man up. You know, where were you? 97 grand final, 2001 yeah, grand what? final? 97, I was at, um, I was with, I, I remember, I'm not too sure where I went the night before, but I woke up with a hangover. I was only <laughs> 22. Um, so it was pretty standard Sunday morning, but I went around to a mate's place and we were all Knights fans and we were sitting around in the afternoon watching the lower grades as you, as you do and, just sort of think, you know, daring to dream. Imagine if they win, and it's like, yeah, we, no chance. How, how could it be to go into the to go into the workers club? Yeah, it'd be good, but no, it'd be packed. <laughs> Anyhow, we all saw what happened, and you know, the full time sirens gone. We're all in raptures, and my mates were at his house, and he's disappeared. And oh shit, where's he gone? <laughs> he's come out. He's got his jeans. I said, right, we're going. We're into the workers club. So <laughs> we, I remember, we got an esky. There was. There was five of us, uh, four or five of us. My mate's girlfriend is now his wife now. We got in her her old 
bomb car with an esky. She drove us into town. Um, we got as close as we could and we, I don't know how we did it, but we've pushed our way through and I've got through, there was three of us by this stage. I've got through the door. The security guards got my mates around the neck so they couldn't get in. Somehow they got their way through and we've burst through into the, uh, into the foyer of the workers club. And we were like, holy shit, we're in right. <laughs> and we tore upstairs the old auditorium as the, the players were getting, um, introduced out to the stage but uh yeah it, it was um it was something else and I, I still remember watching the the parade and yeah yeah it was it was a wonderful wonderful time for the club and the city and you'd, you'd like and look even working for the roosters the last couple of years when they in 18 and 19 well when they won premierships and working on i've worked on a few nrl grand finals just to just to be part of those days and see how much it how much it impacts so many people. You know, there's the there's mm. the 17 players who play. There's the wider squad. There's the the, the coaching staff, the trainers, the whole lot. But it, it's more than that. It's the administration staff. It's it's the the person on the front desk. Yes, everyone involved with the club. What what it does for the for the people involved. And and I'd I'd love I'd love for the people of Newcastle and the, and the Knights to experience that just once. Yeah. Yeah. It's something else. Yeah. And then, and then again, in 2001, that game, uh, that team, you look at it on paper and go, how come we didn't win like three or four years in a row there? Like uh, Andrew John Simpson, Robbie O'Davis, Gidley, you know, (laughs) superstar side. And uh, that weekend, I was actually in um I was in Wollongong that weekend for we had a the country championships and I think I was the team manager or something for the, the senior rep side. So we we're at the West Illawarra Leagues Club or something like that. And um so the Newcastle rep team, we all went to the this Leagues Club and we watched it there. And one of the one of the blokes in our team was a good mate of mine, was a Parramatta supporter. He was the he was the lone Parramatta supporter um in the room and he, he didn't, funnily enough, like it as much as what we enjoyed it. <laughs> um, but again, you're right. It was a superstar team. They they lost. I heard your interview with Clint Newton. And um, yeah, it was uh, the previous year they lost the Unlosable. And I remember that one. I was with a group of mates um, watching the prelim final against the Roosters in 2000. And by halftime, we'd planned our weekend to the grand final um, the next weekend and then sat there with the shits at the end of the game. <laughs> going anywhere. So yeah, look, we, we, and then you know a couple of years past that as well, and uh, yeah, it, it, I think it'll be a time that the the club will look back on in I suppose now, but in years to come to think that we should have the Knights should have got more than two premierships in four years because we 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 really haven't seen uh, in twenty years a, a team assembled like that. Not the, like that, no, no, that's made such an impact. So. Hopefully, there's another one around around the corner. I I think so. Like, there's hope. Uh, there's hope. <laughs> like, and the fans will keep like we keep saying. The fans will keep turning up regardless of uh, as long as they keep trying and they have a go. If if they have yeah. a go, then then they'll they'll, they'll turn up. So right. so you, you've continued to do that. You got next year, which is which is fantastic. I also see here that uh, getting back to baseball as well. A big uh, point for you was hosting like 
the first Major League Baseball game here in Australia. And for yeah. me, it was amazing. So tell us about that whole experience. Yeah, when, when I look the- at when I look back in terms of you know if I ever had to do a top five mm. things I've been involved in, that that's not too sure where in the five, but it gets a start. It was, and again, being a, a baseball person. And I, I still have never been to a major league game in America before. So right. um, to have a big league game in Australia was just mind-blowing to think yeah. that it would, could even happen. So I remember we were down there a day or two, might have been two days before, because they had the, the major league, Dodgers and Diamondbacks on the Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday. And then the Team Australia played each side on the – must have been the Thursday night and Friday night. So we was down there, we were down there on the Wednesday for kind of rehearsals and pre-production. And I still remember um, – so I'd been to the SCG so many times as a yeah. cricket and a rugby league ground. Well, let, let's just go back a little bit, Glenn. It says here that in 2005, the 2005-2006 cricket season, you, it was the first time that you, you know, Sydney cricket ground announcer. Yeah, yeah. That's, an so that, am- that's like an amazing achievement, Glenn. <laughs> oh, it, it was incredible. And it, cricket was the first game, first sport I ever played. Um, you know, I've done a lot of done heaps of rugby league as I worked in rugby league for years and years, but I've never, I never played the game, never played rugby mm-hmm. league ever. But I played cricket and only as a kid and only through to sort of my you know, late teens, early to, uh, a little bit in my early 20s. But I, yeah, I, I played it. So I kind of had a, an even greater connection to the sport and yeah look going back to that match and i think i said to you earlier that was war mcgrath langer's last last ever test match and i still remember walking into the ground and going up to the the box in the top of the brawongle stand and looking out again having a little bit like the moment when i went to the first night's game i was like this is this is the great moment someone's actually paying me to be here and and talk It's it's phenomenal. Was it a hard process to get that position, or was it a, yeah. a bit similar to the Knights, where it was just a like a? Yeah, look to go to go back a, a step again. I now I was doing work. You know, I done the baseball, I did the soccer in Newcastle, and rugby league in Newcastle, and and that was a kind of point. I was sort of thinking, well, what you know, what else is there? What else can I do? And at the same time, I was working in, in PR, and I, and I had a I had a good job there, and the, the job I had there there was not. That was kind of the opportunity in Newcastle. So it was, what else can I do with this announcing without throwing all the rest of this in the bin and starting again? So uh, this is, you know, early days of the internet where you didn't just Google jobs. <laughs> I, remember getting, I remember getting a new, I got the Sydney Morning Herald and I was looking through the job pages and there was an ad this big, like just this little in the classified saying, like, and I, I should have kept it. But it said like wanted announcers, hosts, MCs for national and international sporting events. Phone this number. Wow! I thought, well, why not? Yeah. And it was a number of a company called um, called Great Big Events, who was still you know still operating and very successful, and, and they've been you know they've been a benchmark for sports presentation, not just in Australia but around the world for a long time. So uh, I contacted them and said, "Hey, my name's Glenn Hawke, and I've done a bit of announcing. Um, what, what do you guys do?" And at that stage. Great big events had had done sports presentation for the Sydney Olympics. Um, they had contracts with the ARU, with Cricket Australia. They did the Sydney Swans. Essentially, all the big codes in Australia they were had or were working with them. So I was like, 
here's my details. If there's anything come up, let me know. And it's, it turned out this was in the period where going back some time, the, we, before the A-League football started, we had the the old National Soccer League, which the, the Newcastle Breakers were part of. They shut that down and they had an 18-month hiatus and then relaunched the A-League. So there was a, a world – before the A-League started, there was this world club challenge because they needed the Australian team to go through and play the rest of the – in this international tournament. So great big events were doing stuff for, for the league and also for um, – the Central Coast Mariners. So they kind of said, oh, we need someone. You're in Newcastle down the road. Can you can you do that? And I went down thinking I was going to be the ground announcer. The guy said, so you'll be down on the ground. I'm like, okay. okay. So who's sitting? I thought I was sitting up in the box here, reading out the team. No, no, no. That's We've got someone for that. You'll be down there on camera. And I'd never done – I'd never been on camera before and hadn't done anything like that in my life. So I actually – I was really shit myself this time. <laughs> And um, I fessed up this this woman who was the floor manager, who essentially is the person who looks after you and tells you what to do and where to go and when to talk. I fessed up to her and she said, oh, this is my last event. I've got a job doing something else. And I said, right, well, I'm, I'm going to put a confession here. I've never done this before. So mm. any help you can give me, that'd be that'd be wonderful. So somehow I, I managed to to bumble my way through that with great big events, but so you have like scripts and all that ready to go? Like scripts and things, but I was used to just sitting there with a the script in front of you, reading things out, not just having to look down the camera and <laughs> put on a performance. But um, so so that was my first event with great big events, jumping around a bit. I went to the Com, the Melbourne Com Games with them. I went, mm. I went to the Asian Games in um, Doha with them. They had the work with Cricket Australia, so they contacted me and to see if I could do. They actually contacted me the year before and I'd already booked a six-week trip to Europe oh. and I almost cancelled my six to Europe, but I didn't. And I thought, oh, well, look, what will be will be. And, um, yeah, they, they contacted me the next year. So that, that kind of got me to – so it was, it was through great big events that got me the opportunity to um, uh, to work at the cricket. And uh, as I said, it was, it was Langer – War McGrath's last test match, every time I announced their names in particular, uh, the crowd went ballistic. And, you know, the, the Newcastle Knights games were amazing to be part of, but this was... Next level. It was it was an international event. It was it yeah. might have been two hours down the road in Sydney, but it was a, an international event and it was, yeah. Um, yeah, amazing. And that was, yeah, 15 years ago and I think the last eight or nine seasons now I've been travelling around the country working on cricket as well. 220, the one-day games and the test matches. I mean, that, that you're covering everything, mate. It's just yeah. – and uh, with the cricket as well, like, again, seeing your Instagram, there was a one particular game that uh, I was actually back in Australia and I watched it on TV. It was the bushfire cricket bat. Yeah. You got to interview Sasha and Tendulkar. I mean, you, yeah. you know, you're doing McGrath and legends of Australian cricket, but – Come on, Sachin Tendulkar. I mean, he's like, yeah, that was one of the most incredible days I'd, I'd ever been part of. So I was already in Melbourne for we're doing the women's series with India, which was leading into the T Twenty World Cup, and this was so all those all the bushfires had happened. So this all came together really quickly. Yeah, yeah. Ricky Ponting and Brett Lee and a couple of others ringing their mates around Australia and the world saying, "Can you come to Australia?" So we had. Um, Brian Lara, wasn't Brian it? Brian Lara was yeah. there. Courtney Walsh was there. It was a Macram. 
Sachin Tendulkar, Ricky Ponting, Shane Watson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera right? So the who's um, who. Yeah. So I was hosting with a with a friend of mine, Nevo, and so what they said to us, it was all a bit loose in terms of like yeah. having a bit of fun. We'll just bring over at the end of each over, we're gonna bring one of these guys over and you're gonna have a chat to him for the big screen and for the crowd. Great. So the floor manager, Kylie and Haynes, who's a really good friend of mine, I said to her like this. I don't care who we're interviewing today. I don't care if I don't get to interview anyone else, but I want to talk to Sachin. Yeah. And Neve said, oh, that's cool because I just want to talk to Ricky Ponting. So we, we're oh, cool, okay. right? So no drama's there. So Sachin's kind of just sit, sitting over in, in the dugout area, all these other guys, and they're all amazing. Like They're all so giving of their time and so happy to be there and you know, with their interviews. Was a Macram was fantastic. He was a, he was a real character. But um, it got to the innings break, and Kylie had gone over and, and spoken to the security manager of Cricket Australia, who she knew really well. So we want to have a chat to him, and she said, "He said, look, mate, we just how about it's Sachin, right? Let's just we'll see what we can do, kind of thing." Right. So just just on the innings break, kind of it's all happening on the field, and Kyle's walked over and said, "Come with me now." So we've walked over, and there's all oh, there's people everywhere. So we've basically put our head down through the crowd and popped up and there was Sachin. And Sachin's about yeah, a little guy. I'm, yeah. I'm not exactly six foot two. Yeah. Sachin's about five foot seven. So I walked up to him and said, Hi Sachin, my name's Glenn. Um, would you mind if you had if we had a chat for the big screen? He said, Of course we can. I could not tell you a single question I asked him or a word <laughs> that came out of either of our mouths because I'm just sitting there the whole time going, I'm yeah, I'm actually talking to Sachin Tendulkar, and it's it's one of those moments, and you you learn, and I've been really privileged to speak to a lot of profile people in the time, and you learn that the majority of them are just people who are pretty good at their job, or yeah. pretty good at the sport, and, and he's certainly one of them in terms of just such a. But but in India, and as you're a cricket fan, you get like he's there's a, a guy. He really is. And, and there's certain times, there's every chance that I'll never be in the same neighbourhood as Sachin Tendulkar as what, let alone speak to him again. So to be able to have that moment and have that experience to to sit there and, and have a, it was a three-minute chat, but it a chat with Sachin Tendulkar. So that was, um, it was a very, it was a very cool moment. And, and again, you sort of said from the, the outset about those pinch yourself moments, that one was well and truly mm. up there. Yeah, actually, I, I saw it. Um, I've, I've got uh, cable TV here, and I've got the Fox, and they showed the bash. Uh, oh yeah, the bush, a replay of it. So yeah. I did actually, I see you. Yeah, I, I could see you were having fun. Uh, you, oh, you're, you're very excited. Yeah, it was so much fun. It was just, yeah. it was just the fact that the 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 talent was so. You know, they all paid their own way to get there, and they all gave so much of their time. So they were all in – everyone was in good spirits and always in a good mood and um, they couldn't have done enough to, you know, to help out on the day and, and this was certainly part of it. So that that made it so much um, so much easier for me and um, and, and it hopefully came through to, to the crowd as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, you're doing all the cricket, but it's not just cricket at the Sydney Cricket Ground, um, as some people might not know, especially internationally. You know, you've done the the Socceroo games, uh, Manchester United, Liverpool, Juventus, 
again, like uh, I saw a picture of uh, you with Neymar, Neymar Jr. That was quite incredible. Um, I went to went to Singapore to see um, Brazil. So Brazil does a world tour. Well, back in the normal times, did a world tour, and a company that I'd done some work for again rang me and said, "Any chance you can come to Singapore for five days and work on a couple of games?" Huh? Is that, is that like a random, is that like random or is it just like yeah. a... Uh... Yeah. So I'd worked with this company a bit and different things, but um, this kind of popped up and I haven't had many conversations that started. Would you be free to go to Singapore? So I mean, it was, you know, some gigs are pretty tough and some gigs aren't in terms of, this was two games in five days and the rest of the time was just essentially a holiday in Singapore that someone else was playing for. So that was, um, that was pretty cool. So, Sadio Mane, who plays for Liverpool, he played in that game as well. Mm. Um, Neymar was there. And again, these are – it was funny. He he came out on the pitch. And there was it wasn't a huge crowd because it all came together really quick, like really late. So it wasn't a massive crowd. But the, there was these Brazilian fans and a lot of expats there who were just – Hardcore. It's a bit like Sachin with yeah. – Neymar with Brazilian fans is, is exactly the same. So mm. he's gone out to warm up and he's got he's got these diamond earrings on. So massive and didn't, you know, he just kind of did his own thing and yeah, the warm-up had finished and he's walking off the field and, and all this crowd has, has come around the tunnel where he was going to walk off and he just sort of had his head down and we thought this would be interesting as to, you know, it's it's hard to even comprehend um, like, like a, a Sachin Tendulkar and a Neymar where they can't walk down, the, they literally can't walk down the street because they just get mobbed and hounded and all this kind of stuff. So you can sort of see people like that get into a bit of a, a defensive mode when you know, all these people are wanting them. But he's walking off the pitch just with his head down, and then all of a sudden he's taking his shirt off, training Brazilian training shirt, and throwing it into the crowd. And this bloke has got it, and the crowd's going hysterical. So we've gone and we're going to interview this guy, and this guy all he could get out. He's had the shirt. He's holding it up his face. He's saying, "I love him. I love him." I love him. That's all. He, that's all he could say. But you see what sort of impact yeah. these these superstars have on people's lives. It's um, it's it's quite incredible. But another, you know, I suppose there's two other two other football games that that stick with me. It was Liverpool. Well, Manchester United came out and played at the Sydney Football Stadium, and there was for me that was a case of this is Manchester United. Yeah. Liverpool came out and I got a chance Melbourne? to win. Is that the no, Melbourne Cougar Ground? No, I did the one in at ANZ Stadium in ANZ Stadium Australia. To me, that wasn't necessarily the game, but I got to interview at halftime Craig Johnston, who ah. you would know, who was a yes, Newcastle boy who won an FA Cup in 1983 or five or seven or something like that. Um, so to me, that was that was a huge thing to be able to interview Craig Johnston at halftime and um he, we both sort of got some mutual, we've got some mutual acquaintances that we sort of connected on. And yeah. so that was wonderful to meet him. And his story is, is truly amazing. And the, um, the other one football wise, I got to do the first time LA galaxy came out with David Beckham. Oh, right. See it at stadium Australia again. And there was, it was, there was 80 odd thousand people um, watching him play. Uh, did you did you do the did you do the one where where they were at Newcastle as well? Yes. Yeah, that was a couple yeah. of years later when he they came back. But um, so the first it's the first, first time. First one, been, right? Yeah, first time he'd been in Australia, and every time he touched the ball, 
the crowd erupted. Like there was, yeah. you know, they brought out a squad of 20. I defy anyone else to name one of the player on, <laughs> on the team. Yeah. So every time he touched the ball, and he would take the corner kick. So that part of the stadium would all just stand up. And this is 2006. The people actually had cameras with flashes on it. So you see these flashes going off. And then just before half time, LA Galaxy got a free kick just outside the box. David Beckham's lining up for it. Mm. And so with, with these, usually when I'm working and doing these um these events, particularly with football, it's it's not a it's not a free for all commentary thing. I, I usually wait until someone tells me to talk because they have to coordinate big screen and all this kind of stuff. So it's usually the process would be they kick a goal, we put a music sting video on it, replay, replay, and then the the producer or show caller would say, "All right, the goal scored by now announced," and you would go. Right. So this one. David Beckham just lined it up and he's just done a classic David Beckham curled into the top right, a uh, top left corner. And the mate of mine who was a show caller just turned to me and said, You know what to do. And <laughs> moment to say, Goal to LA Galaxy scored by number 23, David Beckham. It's like, I just announced David Beckham. Yeah. <laughs> on the field. It's, yeah. So that, that was, that was, um, yeah, that was very cool. And again, sort of, as you said, he came to Newcastle. Uh, and that did wonders for Newcastle. And I, like it was sold out so I'm, quick and, you know. But you talk about people who just happen to be good at what they do. He, There was a number of different functions and coaching clinics and things like that. And he went to them all. Mm-hmm. And the Newcastle Herald got this really good photo of a kid so they had a ho- uh, the hockey centre that's just next to what's now McDonald Jones Stadium. It's where they played the soccer in the rugby league. So they did this the soccer clinic on the hockey field on the artificial turf pitches. And this kid, who might have been five or six, his shoelace was undone. And David Beckham's gone down and tied this kid's shoelace. So at the end of it, one of the journos said to him, so why did you tie that kid's shoelace up? He was like, because his shoelace was undone. And I've got a, I've got a kid that age, so yeah. I'd hope someone would help my kid as well. So, I mean, as like he's an, and particularly in his halcyon days, he was an international rock star, and probably still is. Yeah, but it was wonderful to see that he's just a bloke who played football pretty. That's well. right. Yeah, at the end of the day, and like all these people that you're talking about, they're just normal people that have just got a high profile. They just do something really good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, international. But uh, yeah, if you're marrying a spy school, I guess you're gonna have to have people all around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, competing for I suppose they were competing for airtime a bit there as well. But um, that's right, uh, Glenn. I just want to get back to that the baseball game, the yes. Major League Baseball game at the SCG. It was uh, huge for baseball here in Australia. Nice. You know, having the Dodgers. You know, arguably one of the biggest the biggest team uh you got the yankees and the dodgers uh, you know um most recognized so for the dodgers to come down here amazing so tell us about that so so firstly i I walked into the scg and it's kind of changed a little bit now with the redevelopment but you kind of walk down from the car park and then you walk between the and the lady stands and you can see the field so i still remember 
as I'm walking around the back of the members' stand, the Qantas choir is rehearsing, and they're singing, I still call Australia home. So I'm listening to this, and as I walk around, I see the SCG perfectly transformed into a Major League Baseball ground. One of, one of, the, one of the key parts um, of, make, of, of making this event happen is that Major League Baseball would not compromise on the ground. Like the game, the game was the most important thing. So they weren't going to go and have. Well, we're going to put it on a rugby league ground with, with 180 yards to right field and 400 to to left. Yeah, right. yeah. It had to be inch perfect. Mm. You know, reproduced baseball ground, and and what they did was just amazing. So just to see the SCG transformed into a big league ground yeah. was just was phenomenal just to see it so i've so i said we went there the day before for the rehearsal and i've gone upstairs into the production room which looks down on the on the scg and i was the only australian person there who was a baseball guy right or a baseball person everyone else was sports fans and kind of didn't really know much about baseball but i'm sitting there going i'm and i'm a kid you're irrelevant yeah <laughs> and they also brought out so the the Diamondbacks, it was their home game. So they bought out some of their um their production team. So the people who work on there, and, and as well as their um their announcer, a guy called Chuck Drago, who was sounds like when he was talking, he sounds like he could be a a Simpsons character or <laughs> so this incredible American accent. And I'm still in contact with him today, and he's he's a lovely, lovely guy. But they just the recreation of of of, of the baseball park and. So I'm sitting up in this production room and there's Chuck there talking with this accent that I could only have ever dreamt of. <laughs> and the Dodgers are taking batting practice on the SCG. So we've got a production meeting happening over on one side and here's me just gazing out the window. Mm-hmm. And I, a friend of mine, Kylie, never mentioned, I said, I'm tapping around. The car. It's, the, it's the LA Dodgers taking batting practice it's in- on the Sydney Cricket Group. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? And, and also, you like Don Mattingly was coaching there. Mark Maguire, who was the home run king, might have been steroid juice, what have you, but what didn't matter. He was down, like he was the hitting coach for the Dodgers as well. Yes. So these guys, I'm growing up, I'm seeing these yeah. uh, these guys as well. So just seeing this unfold was incredible. So once we went down, once the production's meeting finished, I said, I'm going down, I'm going down to watch batting practice. Yeah. So Kylie Ann's come down with me and she said, like, I don't get how big this is. Give me, give me a put it in a put it in a perspective for me. So at the time, Clayton Kershaw, who was a pitcher with the Dodgers, just signed this huge multi, deal. multi, multi deal, million dollar deal. And he walked past. And I said, I see that guy there. He just walked past us. What he he's just signed a contract. So I said, so Kyle, you work. For the Dragons, St. George Lawara Dragons, they've got 30 players in their roster. Mm. Each year, what those 30 guys get paid collectively, this bloke gets more than that in one year. That's right. <laughs> well, well, just for throwing a ball. Yep, just just for throwing a ball. So It's not all about that. All about <laughs> that was incredible. And, and so then to see – so then when the, the games happened – 
So for the first two nights, um, I did the announcing with with Chuck. So I did all the the Australian team coming up, and and then he did the either the Dodgers or the um, Diamondbacks. So right. we kind of shared the announcing duties for the major league game. MLB said, "Yeah, no, we'll we want a game protecting the game." Yeah, Chuck will be the announcer. I did stuff in between innings, but in terms of the the in game stuff, Chuck um, did all that. But you mentioned about one of the really really cool moments for me was it, it must have been on the when the when the Diamondbacks played um, played Team Australia. We had I had this moment. Where Glenn Hawk, kid from Newcastle who played a bit of baseball, was sitting up in the announcer's box. And relief pitcher from the Diamondbacks, Ryan Roland Smith, walked out of the bullpen to the mound, walked past uh, second base umpire Paul Hyam, who you would remember, yes. from Newcastle, who happened to be umpiring. So there was three of us from Newcastle who all just happened to have this moment where I announced Ryan out who walked past Paul to go on the mound to throw for the Diamondbacks. So it was, um, yeah, wow. something something really incredible. And I suppose the other thing that happened on – so we played those two games against the Australian, played two games, and that was amazing. And then Saturday and Sunday they played. So they played under lights on Saturday night. They played a day game on Sunday. Because it was actually an official game, like that was the, the, game, the official yeah. game for the for the start of the season. Yeah, they did. Yeah. As part of the pregame on the Sunday, they had this moment where they were going to acknowledge every Australian who had played Major League Baseball. So they had this video montage played up, and then I had this script, and we and. I'm not too sure how many there were, but obviously it wasn't all of them, but there might've been 15 players and it would be, you know, hailing from, hailing from Geelong. He played two world series with the New York Yankees. Please welcome Graham Lloyd from Brisbane. You know, Australia's first major league all-star play with the Brewers, Dave Nelson. So we've gone, I've had the script. So that was my moment to read out. So for whatever reason, uh, through the pre or as we're getting in, someone someone from Major League Baseball has come in to speak to our producer and said, look, we're running out of time in the show. We're going to cut out this introing the players to the crowd. We're just going to put the video up. No. So I, I'm not, now I'm not going to claim that this I was the reason why this happened, but this was none of my business, right? I'm just the, the second announcer. And I said to this guy from Major League Baseball, I said, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> so these guys have probably all of them have plied their trade in America. A lot of these people, in the, everyone would know who they are in this crowd and mm. a knowledge baseball crowd. But these guys have never been recognized in Australia for their feats. You know what? They've done incredible things overseas, but they've never been recognized in Australia. This is the only – they've all been invited. They've all been told they're going to be presented to the crowd today. You can't take this away from them. Yeah. But this is their one moment in their career that they can stand on a field in front of a knowledgeable baseball crowd in Australia and be recognised for their 
their achievements as being one of only at the time probably 30 less than that um australians who have played in the big leagues this doesn't seem like a big thing to you because every second person in america has played big league baseball but yeah that's right yeah so anyhow for whatever reason they they tightened the script up and we got them to do it and as i said mate it Maybe it would have happened, maybe it didn't, but it was just a moment that I, I just sat there and thought, I can't just let these people don't probably don't understand how big a moment this is for these guys to have that five minutes on the on the stage to be recognized. So Yeah, yeah absolutely. It was, it was amazing. It was it when I said talk about the top five, that that one's in the in my top five for sure. Yeah. And and you talk about that like uh, uh, I interviewed Peter Moylan last year. Yep. Atlanta Braves are my favourite team ever since I started playing baseball and they won this year, go Braves. And, like, he, he told me, like, he could come back and no one will recognise him. He's like, yeah, he played Major League Baseball up until, like, the, the 2019 season, 2018, yes. 2019. He comes back to Melbourne. He can no walk one cares, around. Though. But if he goes to Atlanta... He's just a rock star. Is this, he he works on Fox uh, Sports South with the Atlanta Braves, uh, so he's a he's a celebrity. But uh, he, here and back at back at home, it's yeah. It's, so maybe one day it'll it'll uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and getting into that, looking at your your Instagram again, you've been involved with the uh, the ABL uh, in, in Australia. Uh, it said that you did commentary for uh, the ABL All Star Game. Yeah, um, I did ESPN as well. Yeah, I did a bit of TV commentary. Yeah, twenty fourteen, fifteen, around that time. So I did some. Um, with the, we would have been with the relaunch of the ABL, kind of a couple of years into that. The they invested a bit into a a, TV, a weekly TV show where they'd send a film crew out and, and shoot a game and cut it down to an hour highlights. And I would sit with Glenn Williams and. He was a, a former big leaguer and a, a legend of the game and a, and a great guy as well. And he and I would sit in a, a studio in Parramatta and say, oh, it's great to be here in Norwood Oval, Adelaide or wherever we were. And um, <laughs> we did commentary on the games there. And, um, yeah, so ESPN, uh, I did some play-by-play stuff for ESPN down in Melbourne and also did some work in Fox Sports. They telecast the um, the championship series. But, again, I was the, I was the in-dugout kind of sideline throw down to meet interview some people in the dugout and, and special comments or whatever it may have been. But um, yeah, again, that was a, I, I haven't done a huge amount of um, huge amount of television work. Um, basically on camera stuff's been live at, at venues and things, but um, yeah, that was, that was certainly something that it was good fun. And yeah, if the opportunities presented themselves again, I'd love to do a bit more of that. More recently, the Blue Sox, the Sydney Blue Sox, yeah. you have your own podcast now as well. Yeah, look, everyone's doing a podcast, aren't they? So <laughs> you mentioned um, uh, Shane Barclay, who's yes. an, an old coach of yours. He um, he got involved in the as the manager again, and, and Adam Dobb was the the owner and, and GM. And I don't know, I can't believe Adam Dobbs. Yeah, they oh, yeah. um, wow. So he had a couple of years, and so yeah, they asked me if I'd be you know have you ever done a podcast before, and and I hadn't, and you know it was it was good fun just putting together, I suppose. An, what you do and what you've done, but having that whole creative process from starting from an idea through to, you know, producing something, yeah. creating some content. And yeah, that was great. We had, you know, they had 
Dobby ended up getting Manny Ramirez to come out and play, and it didn't quite eventuate how he, how he wanted to. But I had a chance to interview him a couple of times, and that was wow. that was that was very cool talking to him about the the, the superstar Blues um, Red Sox team that he was in. And I also um, interviewed Rachel Balkovitz, who is a mm-hmm. came out as a hitting coach, and she's doing some incredible things with the New York Yankees, and she'll be the GM of a of a major league organization at one point. I, I have no doubt whatsoever. She was probably one of the most inspiring, incredible people I've I've ever had the privilege of speaking to and, and meeting yeah. it. Um so yeah that was that was really good fun to to create to create the podcast and, and, and help the help the club out as well in terms of just helping to promote the game and, and whatnot. But um yeah it it's kind of inspired me a little bit. I've got a few little different ideas sitting there that um maybe I'd like to tackle one day. It's just a matter of where, and that's what I'm saying. Where do you fit all this time in when you've got all the cricket and the, the football and the, and the winter time? And Yeah, it's kind of um, – that's the thing. And, and look, one thing that, that I did appreciate or learn to appreciate that to produce a 45-minute to an hour podcast takes a lot more than <laughs> it does. an hour. So it, does. it becomes quite a, an all-consuming exercise. But mm-hmm. as I said, something – and to me, as, as much as anything, it was a – it was a, a learning experience that, you know, to me, every time you do a, um, an interview or anything like that, you, you're learning more about yourself and how you want to, and, you know, you listen back to things and think, why did I ask that question? Why did I ask like that? Or how can I make that better next time? Or so that was, um, you know, every, and I suppose that's been the same thing right through my career. Like, um, I've sat down and, and turned the microphone on. It's an opportunity to get, it's an opportunity to get better and to be, you know, to improve, you know, improve your craft. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to ask one thing uh, before we get close to wrapping it up. We need to hear you, Newcastle. <laughs> yeah. Where did this come from? Well, uh, I, I just like drilled into my head, you know, every time I go, I go to a, a Knights game. Where, where so, did this come from? So we spoke about the, you know, that first time that I, I worked at the Newcastle Knights game. and. It literally just came out of my mouth. It was, and I don't remember a lot about the game, but I, I kind of remember the moment, you know, leading into any kind of rugby league game, or as most sporting events, you kind of, everything you do from, you know, gates open through to kickoff, it's all about building the crowd. So everything yeah. you do, it's all about, you know, hyping a little bit more and more and more. And doing the, announcing the teams through to run on through to kick off. That's where it kind of, you know, really builds. So, and I still remember announcing the team, you know, starting at fullback, number one, Robbie O'Davis, number seven, <laughs> Andrew Johns. And each time I did it, the crowd's going nuts. And I think this is really cool. So the, we've announced the team, um, the night, you know, please welcome the whoever sponsors you, mm. Newcastle Knights, and the crowd's going bonkers. And they're just about to kick off, and I've just gone. We need to hear you, Newcastle. And the crowd's gone nuts again. I went, well, that worked pretty well. And and every game I've done over the last nineteen seasons, I've before the kickoff, kind of been the the catch cry before um before, before the whistle we blows. So it, yeah. it it wasn't nineteen, nearly twenty years ago when I did that first game. It wasn't something that I. I sat down before and went, I need to come up with a catch. Yeah, something. Yeah. 
it just it, it was uh, uh you know in this day and age you would say it was very organic uh yeah. it just it just happened and yeah i suppose it's a, a bit of a legacy thing from um from what i've done and hopefully i'm i really hope it's something i can do for um for a lot longer yeah i love absolutely. it uh, on like a personal side uh it says here that you developed caris communications yeah yes man- managing director in 2014 yeah so that's um well, that's my, my pr business that i've said i've worked in pr since i was 19 i wanted to be a journo and, and fell into pr and yeah 2014 i started my own business and um it, it's part of the part of my juggle that that i do every day trying to juggle each things and there's and there's times when I'm sitting at a cricket ground somewhere and I'm tapping away, responding. And I, and I suppose it's it's fortunate the way we we live and work these days that you know you never really turn off and you're always you're always on. But what it means that I can be sitting at Adelaide Oval introducing Manus Labuschagne to the crease and be responding how to him. Well. How, so, how good is he playing? Just quietly, yeah, exactly. yeah. he's uh, he's killing it. And uh, you continue to grow that this uh, communication. Is it just a small, small? Yeah, look, it's um, it's me, and I've got, I've got a couple of people who work with me on that as well. Um, great, which allows me to do the, go and do the fun stuff every yeah, day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, look, I'm really lucky. I've got some, um, you know, some good, solid, longer term clients that um, that I work for, on a day to day. And look, it's as I said to you, it's um. When when COVID hit, all the fun stuff went in a moment. But the PR work it kind of picked up a little bit as well because crisis communications and preparing for the worst um, media responses and all that kind of stuff kind of yeah. picked up. So I, I think going back to that being my full time focus for a while as well, it kind of really I suppose re-energized myself me a bit as well to. You know, rediscovered what I, why I enjoyed that job. A little bit less of the the juggle was good for a while as well. So, um, but now I'll, I'll I'll now continue to you know, just keep juggling as best I can for uh, for as long as I can. Do you call it a job? It's funny. I, I been plenty. Well, there's been times I've told the story plenty of times that um, a little while ago now, my my brother said to me, you know, asked me what I was doing on the weekend. I said, oh. I'm working all weekend. So, so tell me what you're doing. I was like, oh yeah, I got to go. I'm at the nights on Friday night, and I've got a Roosters game on Saturday night, and I'll stay down in Sydney and I'll do a Sharks game or something. He's like, that's <laughs> that's going, that's talking shit at footy games. That's not a job. <laughs> but, but, but look, that's, the, that's the dream. <laughs> well, it is, and, and it's, and I'm really lucky that not everyone gets to gets to say that they absolutely love what they do, mm. and. I'm in a really, really fortunate position that I do. I absolutely love what I do. Um, I have, I've had so many of those, as you said, in the outset, those pinch myself moments that I can't believe I'm doing that. I still do that. And after what we've experienced in the last couple of years, I, I've never taken it for granted. And when so much of it gets taken away so quickly, um, and even, even probably a month before the ashes started this year, um, there was still a level of uncertainty as to yeah. what I would do and how much because they didn't even know if the games were going to be on. So let alone where and, you know, 
going back to the start of this year, we we restarted the rugby league season. Thought this is great. We're we're back, and then everything gets taken away to to Queensland, and I sit at home with the shits each weekend, going, you know, that could have been me, and you know, and it's not. It was the the tough part about that as well is that it's not just you know it's it's my job and it's nice to get paid for these things, but it's mm-hmm. you know I'm really lucky. We I had a my job is you know I've got so many friends that I've got through my work. Yeah, you know while I was in Melbourne last weekend or last week, um, we had to catch up with some people I used to work with at cricket, and they were, we were sitting around, and there was people from Melbourne, from Adelaide, um, a few people from Sydney. And they're really close friends because you travel three months of the year, people with cricket, you travel with for three months of the year and they become more than just your colleagues. And, you know, people I work with in rugby league in Sydney, like all that's kind of taking, so it wasn't just taking away your income. It takes away your, your social network as well. And people that you would yeah. see every second weekend or what have you, that's kind of taken away as well. So, yeah. So look, I've been, yeah, really fortunate that what, this work has given me for so long and I fingers and everything else crossed that it continues to. Yeah. And, and speaking with all the travel and, and you know, be, being away a lot, must have a very understanding wife. Yeah. The, uh, yeah she and, does a wonderful yeah, job. Family too. as well. I've got, a, I've got a young boy who's, uh, who's 14 and yeah, he's got a, he's got his own challenges. He has, he has autism. So yeah, that, that has its own challenges as well, but it's, yeah. it's all part of that. Um, it's all part of that juggle that yes. um, that we do. So yeah, I saw I saw a picture there of you uh, uh, walk for Autism Day uh, this year. What was that like? Oh, amazing! He's um, my son goes to a school called um, Aspect, which is Autism Spectrum Australia, and my wife works for them as well oh. as a teacher. They are just an amazing organisation, mm-hmm. and I, I really don't know where where my son would be without the support um, they get from the school and the teachers there are amazing. You know, they, they care more than teachers need to, or, you know. Glenn, so tell us what's the future for Glenn, for Glenn Hawke? I hope that I'm doing the announcing or hosting what have you for the Newcastle Knights until I fall off the twig. I love, I love doing that job. I think it's, it's a case of sort of maintaining some of these really key jobs as long as I can. You know, if you could throw in, throw myself into something and know you're not going to fail and succeed, I'd like to do some more some more commentary, be it radio or television, would be a, a, probably a, a long bow to draw. But um, some sort of radio or streaming type commentary, something that I'd um, that I'd like to do. And, um, and out of your, out of your comfort zone or baseball i'd like to do some cricket stuff i think it's something i i think i could i could move move into somehow yeah that that would be something i'd i'd uh, i'd love to do and in terms of, in terms of bigger events paris 2024 Ooh. after going to rio in 2016 paris 2024 would be um i think it'd be a really good one so that'd be that'd be nice to do as well it's a good choice tell us uh, what would you what advice would you give to someone that wants to do what you do I'm sure there's a lot of people from Newcastle, especially from Newcastle, that want to be. I want to be that guy, you know. Yeah, I, look, I mean, I, I don't know just about this job, but but any job. My whole career has been based around just having a crack, just mm-hmm. 
if you want to do something, just just have a crack at it. Um, look, you've you've got to work hard. You've got to prepare well. You've got to be able to put the time in. Um, that's all really important. But you know, I got a crack at doing this announcing job because I thought, well, why don't I just ask someone if I can? Like, if that's right, could have rang that guy and he said he could have said, no, nah, look, we're fine. We'll we'll stick with that. And and there's been plenty of times where that's happened to me over the last twenty five years. But mate, going back to the old baseball analogy if you don't swing the bat you, you won't hit the ball so you know, right. have a crack at and, and do it do it to the best do it to the best of your ability like if you if you're going to have a crack at it don't don't half-ass it yeah have a crack throw yourself into it give yourself every chance to succeed yeah and if, if you're doing it half-ass you may as well not do it at all right 100 yeah 100%. glenn tell us about your social medias uh where can we find you in the social at, media world, yeah, at Glenn Hawk is on Instagram and Twitter, and I've just I've just launched myself yesterday into the world of TikTok. So, oh, um, come on! Yeah, so it'll be it's kind of I've got some videos of, and like most of my social media stuff is just work related. So, um, yeah, so I'm going through the back catalogue of some t- talking at sporting events that I'll I'll throw up there as well. To yeah. you know, and that's the thing, like it's. You know, you never know who's looking at these things. You never know who's watching, and um, True. yeah, throw yourself out there. And tell us about your podcast as well, the the Sydney. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, Blue Sox banner. It was. It's actually wound down now because the 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 ABL season didn't happen. So yeah, we'll see what happens next year, and hopefully, if that all goes well, we can get that back up online. Right, absolutely. Now to finish off, uh, I just asked a bu- bunch of random questions to sort of. Get to know you a little bit more, Glenn. So uh, right. first question is, tell me your top two or three uh, all-time favourite bands or, or, music, or, or singers. Again, show my age a bit here. Um, my first kind of real love of music came from Billy Joel. Oh, piano man nice. himself. I've seen him in concert a few times. So I would put him up there and we'd had a, a resurgence in um, in Queen in the last... Uh, oh, come on. Yes. So... You know, okay, I'm showing my age a bit, but I'd throw those in my top two all time. Favorite albums? Outside of those two, the uh, top two albums, I would say Oasis Wonderwall or the Champagne Supernova, the, that yeah. album from the, the mid 90s. I think that was because of the, the time of, of my life that I remember it. Dookie, was it Green Day? Sorry, Green Day. Yeah, that one. And again, similar kind of um, timeline, yeah. but they were, they're probably the two albums that are, uh, you can turn on at any time and, Music has a wonderful ability of taking you back back to a time and place, and those um those two albums do that for me. And in terms of movies, uh, top two or three favorite movies. My ta- my favorite movie of all time is The Blues Brothers. Oh, nice! And I'll throw in Major League in there as well for you as oh, well. Was... Point in my life, I think I knew every word to the uh, <laughs> the movie, so I'll throw that in for you as well. It's funny. Top five favorite sporting teams. No. Yep. So I'd say the Newcastle Knights would be in there. I love my cricket, so. I'm going to throw in the the Australian men's and women's side. I've done a bit of work with the Australian women's cricket team, and I've absolutely bloody loved it. They're a incredible team and great people as well. So I'll throw those. Um, I'll throw the Sydney Roosters in there as well. That's the second rugby league, so I'm a bit controversial, but I've I've worked for the. <laughs> um, and let, let's say, let's be a little bit parochial again, and I'll say the Newcastle Jets. Uh, three or four players uh people that you've seen perform you know sporting and sporting that's tough i mean but yeah look i've i've um 
I've been part of and, and watched some incredible sporting events, but I think, you know, to be able to say that I was I was there and saw uh, Andrew Johns play, I, I watched, I was sideline of the 2018 grand final where Cooper Cronk played with a broken shoulder. Um, that was an incredible performance to see, watch, to, to, to be part of and, and, and to watch. Um, to to be there and to see David Beckham kick a goal at, at ANZ Stadium was was amazing. Um, and then even, you know, working at Commonwealth Games and seeing, being part of a uh, an Australian men's hockey team winning a gold yes. medal. So little bits and, it, you know, it's not always the the biggest stage, but it's just, you know, the moment sometimes um, as well. And, and even, you know, little things I've, I've watched every ball of Michael Clark getting 300 in Sydney. And I saw every ball of, of um, David Warner getting a 300 in, in Adelaide. Like there haven't been that many players score 300 runs in innings of in a test match. And I've, I've been, I'd like to see a couple of them. So yeah, very, been very fortunate in that sense. Mm. Last question, Glenn, uh, who is your greatest inspiration slash hero? I'm going to say my greatest inspiration is my son. You know, he, he's been dealt a hand that most people don't have to be dealt. Mm. And in his own way, in every day, he, you know, he manages to get through. And, you know, of the, of the things that, of the stuff that, um, of the challenges that he has, he he does incredibly well. And, and, and sometimes there are such little things that he you – know, things for, that other people would see are just, you know, minor. Day to day. Mm. Little things. Um, you know, when he brushes his teeth by himself or put his shoes and socks on or things that are really tough for him. Yeah. What I see him, the challenges he overcomes, to, you know, day to day. And he and he'd probably never understand that, but he, he inspires me. Yeah, absolutely. Well – Glenn, I think we could talk for another three or four hours, but uh, I think we might have to. Stop. I think we have to stop it there. But be uh, before we get to know it, before we know it, so. <laughs> it's it's almost getting into the twenty twenty two. But <laughs> thank you very much for your time. I mean, just, looking, just looking behind you there, you, uh, what you've what you've done and achieved, got more to achieve in the future. It's, uh, you're living my dream and a lot of other people's dreams meeting all these people and, and you know getting to do this and we have a lot in common so for you to see all this you know i'm glad it's a good guy like yourself i wish you all the best for the future yeah thanks man look i really appreciate and uh i suppose a little humbled that you'd want to have a chat to me after having a look at the the long list of people that you have so yeah thank you so much it's been lovely to sit back and and reminisce particularly about the 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 old Newcastle and the, and the baseball days. So look, I I thank you for your time and, yeah. and I wish you for your time there as well. No worries. I'll come back Newcastle. We'll have a beer, right? Sounds like a great idea. Hi, I'm Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. I can tune into your loved ones in the spirit world, but I can also tune into you, tell you about your path and the choices that you need to make and need to know. I'm currently giving thirty percent discount on all. Tell Craig Your Story listeners, just use a code, Tell Craig Your Story, for 30% off your first psychic reading with me, online at Nigel the Shanghai Psychic.